How many of you adults are still playground kids at heart? Raise your hand real high and real proud, all right? Yeah, me too, and uh, I've actually done that horse thing like that guy did uh, not too long ago, and uh, it's just fun to, to kind of have that attitude, and we are entering now a series in our church where over the next 14 weeks through the month of Ju- July, we are going to be talking about Joyride. We're going to be looking at one of my favorite, actually my, my favorite, uh, New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul, and that is the book of Philippians. And uh, he talks a lot about how to have joy in the midst of hard times and challenging times, and the word joy shows up over and over and over again in the, month, in the, uh, in the book of Philippians. So I want to encourage you guys just to be reading that book. Go ahead uh, this week, break it open. It's not going to take you that long. Go ahead and read through it. And uh, that'll help you kind of get a context of where we're going to be going over the next few months. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at key verses, uh, or 14 key verses over this uh, these several weeks. And uh, so I really want to encourage you. There's so many memorizable passages in the book of Philippians. Now, in order to set that up today, I want to look at kind of the context of where the book came from, where was Paul when he wrote it. And then I also then want to give you some application today as we look at the first one of those big memorizable verses, okay? So Paul went to visit a city called Philippi. And if you have your Bibles today, uh, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. And also, we're going to be looking just for a few minutes at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is usually the book that tells you mostly about what Paul did, where he was when he wrote something, so on and so forth. And so that's the way it is here in Acts chapter 16, as he lays out for us uh, where he was in context. It says in Acts chapter 16, Luke writes, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the good news to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, and the next day we went out to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to, to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into their home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here Paul is, he sees a vision from the Lord, he has a prompting, I want you to go to the area of Macedonia, and so Paul is on his way, and then as part of that area, he ends up in a city called Philippi. Now one thing Paul does is take advantage of every opportunity given to him, and uh, so when he's given the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, he does, even when it's just by a riverside and maybe an unexpected moment. One of my favorite places to get close to God is uh, out in nature, and in particular by water. How many of you are water fans? Oceans, rivers, lakes, me too. And there's just nothing more peaceful than just sitting by an ocean side or watching the river go by. 
And Paul then says, I want to go by a riverside, and I want, to, I want to be able to have a place of prayer. Well, when he gets there, he realizes there's a group of women who are doing some, uh, some washing there and some other things. And he goes, he takes advantage of that opportunity and shares the gospel with them right there. A woman named Lydia, a businesswoman from that city, immediately responds to Paul's message of the gospel of Christ, and she's baptized. And then following that, she tells her whole household about what God has done through, through Christ. And they all are baptized as well. Thus starts the church at Philippi, and uh, they start right, right there. Now soon after that moment, Paul is walking in downtown Philippi on his way to, the temp, uh, to, to worship. And as he's on his way, there's a girl that comes up to them, and she's telling them their fortune, their future. And uh, he realizes very quickly that she really is doing this some, through some power that's not her own. She's doing this future telling through maybe a spirit that was not a good spirit, it was an evil spirit. And so Paul immediately cast that spirit out of her. She no longer had the ability to tell the future. Well, her bosses, who were making money off of her ability, didn't like that very much. And so they got angry at Paul for healing this girl. So much so that Paul ends up getting beaten, and then he ends up getting thrown in prison. So now here Paul is, just kind of merrily he goes on his way, and he's sitting now in a prison cell with his buddy Silas. Paul took advantage of this opportunity too. And while he's there, they're singing, they're singing worship songs. They're sitting in a stinky jail cell singing, You're a good, good father, that's who you are. That's who. I mean, they're worshiping God. And right there in the middle of this prison cell, and in the middle of their worship time and prayer time, there is a supernatural earthquake that happens that blows the gates open of the jail. And there they are, Paul and Silas, you know, just singing. And, uh, and then the worship, the worship happens, and the gates are blown open. The jailer who was there, who knew in the morning he'd be killed for having his prisoners released, was like, oh, woe is me, and I need to kill myself because these guys just escaped under my watch. And just as he's about to do that, Paul and Silas go, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're still here. We haven't run out of the prison. Then they take advantage of that opportunity, and they share the gospel with the Philippian jailer who right there says, man, this is a decision I need to make, and he's baptized, and then he goes back and shares the message with his family, and they all are baptized, and there is this revival that happens in the city of Philippi. And I love how Paul just takes advantage of these opportunities, and and he does. Oh, and by the way, those of you who are into fortune fortune telling did you know that the bible actually addresses that topic i forgot to mention that deuteronomy chapter 16 uh, it says let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery interprets omens engages in witchcraft or casts spells who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead anyone who does these things is detestable to the lord and so that's why I've never been to fortune teller, you know, palm reader. This is what your thing is. I know a lot of that's gimmicky, but uh, I've just decided if the Bible said something about it, I just probably would attempt to avoid that. So uh, maybe it could be good advice for you all as well. So uh, Paul then is coming through this city, and now he decides after they're released from jail, he goes back to Lydia's house, and they are invited to stay with them for a period of time, and Paul encourages the church at Philippi. 
So this is the, the background of the book of uh, Philippians. It's really a letter, a Paul's letter back to uh, the church at Philippi. It's my favorite New Testament uh, writing in terms of letters. It's the warmest of Paul's writings. It's kind of the most emotional, most personal. He carries around memories of all these times where God has prompted him to do great things there. And he just loved the people there. And not only that, he writes this letter because there were some issues. The, the church was facing persecution. They were facing some disunity. And so Paul writes back to them this warm letter, the book of Philippians. Now, over the next 14 weeks, we're going to look at 14 memorizable verses out of the book of Philippians. We're going to ask you not only to read these, but actually to memorize these verses because uh, they're things you need to be storing in your memory bank so you can call on them. Here's the first one. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul starts the letter with this warm greeting, and then he's reminded that the church has shared in the gospel. They are sharing the gospel just like he was, and then he tells them, hey, listen, church, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So to help you guys memorize it, let's read that together, okay? Here we go. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now, one short way to say that is what God starts he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. How many of you are good starters, not always good finishers? How many of you have projects at home and you go, yep, I should really get that done, you know? One of these days, man, I'm going to get that project finished. Two years ago, Lisa and I decided we're going to uh, downscale a little bit in our house or right size or whatever you call it. I mean, we got kids going to college. Pretty soon. One's in college, one's going to college. And, uh, and so uh, we're like, man, let's, uh, let's do that. And so we find this house. It's in Lebanon. It's in the same school district as our kids. And we buy that thing. And, uh, and we're like, well, we'll go ahead and buy it. We'll sell our house and, uh, over time. And uh, our house will sell quickly. We'll be able to work on this other house. And so we started working on the other house, basically gutted it out. I'm really good at demo. How many of you know that? But I'm good at demo, but now it takes longer to actually rehab the thing. Well, it took a lot longer to sell our house than what we planned. Most of that's because uh, somebody started building behind us and, and uh, the construction traffic and all the mess and all that. Well, finally, we got a contract. So May 12th, it's supposed to close, which is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. And, uh, and so uh, they called us this week and said, hey, listen, you're, we're ready to close. We can close next Friday. You know what I did? Everything in my heart went, <gasps> you know, I mean, I'm not ready, man. I mean, I don't have, like, the, the, the new house. It's pretty much gutted still, and we ran out of money on that. So I, like, I'm waiting for this house to sell. And then on our house, I still got, I got, still got all this little stuff to fix up, and, and it's not ready yet either. And I'm not emotionally ready yet either. We haven't even packed anything at all. And so I suddenly realized, like, oh, man, I better get started. So I immediately go over the house and start cleaning up on the new one. I'm like, we better get working here. Because you know what? When you got a project, you probably should finish that project, right? And some of you guys, you've gotten into projects over the years. Some of you ladies, you go, wow, we're going to, babe, we're going to get that new kitchen. I'm going to start working on it. You demo it, and now you just got a sink and a stove. And your husband's like, You're, what, what are you doing, you know? Are we ever going to have cabinets again? And some of you have home projects you haven't finished. Some of you have little uh, things that maybe one of these days I will do this or will do that. Well, we're not perfect. We're not God. But, uh, man, God, when he starts something, he finishes it. He created the world. He finished it. <laughs> he started human life. And uh, he, he, he said, I'm going to carry that on to completion. And uh, when God does something, he does it right. When God established that plan to save people from their sins, guess what? He completed it. 
And Paul said, I want you to know, God starts stuff, he finishes stuff. And I'm just going to give you quickly today three big categories where God starts and finishes. Here's one of them. God is doing a good work that he's completing in the church. I mean, I know that because right here in this letter to the church at Philippi, he tells them, I started something good among you, and I'm going to finish it. And he writes that to encourage them because sometimes in church, you go, God, are, what are you doing? And how do you want this to go? And all this. But God says, look, I'm, I'm not a quitter. We started it. We're going to finish it. And you know, the church is his. Matthew 16, 18 says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean? It means God's in charge. God's not going to allow the enemy to overcome the church. And, uh, and it applies to our church, too. Some of you guys are new to our church in just the last few weeks. And I just want to say we're glad you're here and welcome. And we hope this is a place you find that's welcoming and encouraging and, and inspiring and all the things that, that we hope that you find about this church. But, man, we have a history here. It was eight years ago. We looked around. We got all these people today. But eight years ago, it was, it was about six of us, me and Lisa and our kids, you know. Let's start a church. And then pretty early on, Sherry goes, hey, I'd love to join up with you guys. And, and uh, so she came from a church that we served with, and she was like, I want to join up on the team. And those early meetings we had, at, actually at Jonathan and Julia's house, and we'd all bow and pray. And David and Amy Sloan early on at Olive Garden looked across the table as if to say, we're with you. Let's go. Let's start this thing. More and more people, early adopters, Josh and Jess, uh, Lisa, took the pictures. I knew Josh when he was in high school, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I was his minister when he was in high school, and, uh, and uh, he's a troublemaker, man. I'm telling you, he was a real troublemaker. No, but anyway, so back in the day, and, and we kind of really weren't as connected, and then he was getting married. He had gone to UK, and Lisa was asked to take their wedding photos. And so uh, she's going to take their wedding photos. And suddenly we look at them, we're like, ooh, that's a sharp couple. Maybe we should have them. And so God put us together in a way that only God can. And, and, uh, and it just started to grow and grow and grow. And people began to, to accept Christ here. And, and we started seeing people be changed. And we moved from a daycare center to a movie theater to houses for a period of time because we didn't have a place to meet to the building we're in today. And and from the very beginning, we said, we want to be a church that really is different. Uh, we don't want to just have the biggest show on a Sunday and draw lots of people through that and, and that be the heart of our ministry. We really wanted this place to be a, a real place, a place where we could uh, just be authentic. And, uh, and I'm so happy that we look back after eight years together and go, man, I think this is a place where people can be authentic and they share their stories with each other and they talk openly about things they're struggling with and, and they go to lunch together and they say, man, this is something, and people encourage them. And I mean, I, I love the fact that that idea of it being real has really come to fruition. And, and we always wanted to be relational. I'm a relational person. Josh is a relational person. We always wanted this to be a relational uh, uh, situation where people would find relationships, they would love people, and they would uh, build each other up. And I'm seeing now today all these cross connections, which I love. I mean, on Facebook, I'm not a Facebook stalker. I just, I just see you guys post things. You know, you post it; it's public, so it's out there. And people are like, "I love this," or "I'm connecting here," and I'm seeing friendships I didn't even know you were friends, and you're connected. I'm like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And they're building relationships with each other. 
Just this week, uh, one of our ladies here is brand new to our church named Diane. She's coming every weekend, and, and she's like, I'm just so happy I found this place, and I'm making such great connections, and she talked about the teachings inspiring, the worship's encouraging, and she's like, not only that, but I'm building these great friendships, and she said, it's such a fun place, too, and I was like, bam, that is just great to see that it's coming out the way that we want it to, real and relational, and we also want it to be refreshing. Now, we always said we want the church to be a refreshing place where we could refresh other people, where we can go out in the community. The Bible says he refreshes others, will he himself be refreshed? And so by loving the community or serving them in certain ways, we feel like it's a refreshing kind of a place. And so I want to say to those of you who are new, uh, if you are thinking about, well, how do I connect? And one way to connect is just in a, next week on May 1st, we have a starting point class. It's, it really is a starting place for you uh, where I teach and we talk about what the church is about, where we're going, and and you can connect with us as a partner of our church uh, at that time. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that online. But I also want to say to you, I, I really hope this is a place that you found to be inspiring and real and relational and refreshing. So I know this. I don't know all of where God's going to take us. But I know God's taken us on a great journey so far. And I know that God's going to be faithful to complete it because the scripture says so. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Not only that. God is faithful, and he works in those who are seeking him. What does this verse have to say to people who are seeking him for the first time? Well, I know it addresses it because it addressed a lady named Lydia, and it addresses an individual, the Philippian jailer, people who for the first time were hearing the gospel. And so the word of God here, it addresses those who are seeking him. Seven and a half billion people on the planet. And God has arrived right now at your life in this place. Some of you, you've never checked out Christianity before. You have never sought a relationship with God. And suddenly here you are in this place and you are beginning to hear the message and it's starting to transform you. And you know what that says to me? That what God begins, he's going to complete. And uh, those of you who are seeking him, those of you who are learning about him, I just want to tell you the sooner that you realize that God can transform you, the better off you are. Because uh, the longer you have a relationship with God, the better, <laughs> the more he can change you, and the more he's going to continue to come, come and find that relationship. There's an old poem called The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson, and this poet makes reference to the idea that God continues to pursue us. It goes like this. There's just parts of it. He said, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my mind. In, my, in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And on and on it goes, the poet continues to describe what he, how God is pursuing him. But then the poet says, I kept hearing voices, I kept hearing footsteps. The work of God, his attempt to bring me to himself was relentless. And I have to tell you guys, you might as well go ahead and say yes to God, because he's going to continue to be relentless in finding that relationship with you. So for those of you who are seeking today, those of you who are learning about God for the first time, God's tugging at your heart, I want to encourage you to go ahead and, and say yes to Christ. Submit to his lordship. And by the way, God is patient with us. Look at this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants you to know him. He wants you to seek him. He wants a relationship with you, and don't wait. 
um, just before first hour, a couple of our people, Jim and Lori, came up to me and said, I said, how was prom for your daughter? They said, well, it was kind of rough. I said, why? They said, because they found out that a high school, a fellow high school student who graduated just last year from Mason was killed uh, at an after prom kind, or at, during a track, uh, sorry, during a track um, uh, thing in the afternoon where a freak accident where somebody threw the hammer, the hammer throw during track, and this kid was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it, it killed him. And so they were processing through that, and, and so after prom, FCA called together a group of people, and they were praying last night. They were telling me about that. I remember a while ago, actually a few years ago now, Lisa and I were driving up since 75 from Cincinnati, and there was this huge traffic jam on both sides of the highway. A few minutes later, we realized why. There seemed to be an accident on the southbound side of the highway. The cars were backed up from the Monroe exit to the Franklin exit, and I learned, later, later learned why. A man from Michigan was going northbound, headed home, lost control in the rain, went across the median, hit a car on the other side head on. It was a family of four going back home from Georgia, and they had just been at a graduation ceremony of a family member. A mother and her twins were killed in that accident, and the father was in serious condition. In one moment, five people's lives were radically changed forever. And one of the things I've learned over all the years that I've been involved in ministry is this, that nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. I think that is why all of us need to, if we realize we're seeking God and God is seeking us, it is better to accept Him sooner rather than later. And God says, you seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And uh, so we're encouraged through the scripture with that. Here's another one. last one is that God continues to work on us in the life of a believer. So once you come to Christ, God keeps working on your heart then too. And I would say, what does this verse have to say to us? He's still working on you. Years and years and years ago, I learned this little song called, He's Still Working on Me. Have you ever heard that song? He's still working on me to make me what I to be. Took him just a week to make the moon, the stars, the earth. And Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Just a little kid's tune. And what I learned through the scripture is God's still working on you. In fact, read Galatians sometime, Galatians 5. It says uh, he's going to help you be more joyful, more patient, more loving, uh, more self-controlled over the years. All those fruit of the Spirit. And over all these years, uh, by the way, I've I've been in ministry now 25 years. Can you believe that? I mean, it's my silver anniversary in ministry, 25 years. And I have seen a lot of people be transformed. I have seen stubborn people be transformed into adaptable and flexible people. I've seen God transform self-righteous, judging type people. Uh, God works on them and they become grace-giving, forgiving people. I've seen God transform self-focused people to become servant-minded people. I've seen God turn fear-filled people into courageous people and greedy people into generous people and angry people into loving people. And this is just the good news about what God has done. He transforms people from the inside out, and I've seen it happen. And some of you guys, you've seen that happen in your own life. You look back five years ago and go, man, I was so stubborn. Man, I was so judgmental of people. And yet today, now God has transformed you. And that's the good work of God. And Romans 12 says, 
don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will. So God is transforming us from the inside out. Not only that, he's transforming you in other ways too. One of the ways God changes us is that he doesn't give up on us because he forgives us. Anybody in here ever blown it big time? And you, in the middle of that, you think, there's no way God's ever going to love me. There's no way God's ever going to care for me. There's no way God's ever going to continue to forgive me. And in those moments of desperation, you really feel like, if I was God, if I was in God's shoes, I would have given up on me a long time ago. But he doesn't. He says, I see your sin. It grieves my heart. But I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not giving up on you. So let's just pick up from here. Because he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it, no matter what. Some of you, you flattened out in your spiritual growth curve. You feel like I'm just kind of on a level playing field, or maybe I've dipped down a little bit. And I feel like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to get back in that right relationship with God. Realize this, God has not given up on you yet, and he won't. I was yesterday, I was at a baseball parade in Lebanon with uh, Jason and his team and all the other little kids who are in the baseball parade. And a guy from our church came up to me, and I could tell he's a little bit, you know, we're two dudes at a baseball parade. We're supposed to talk about dude stuff, you know? And he was like, hey, man. He said, uh, man, that message Sunday, I really needed that. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, especially where you talk about the divorce guy. And he said, uh, and he talked about how that was tough for him and how, that he kind of felt like maybe he had let God down and all those things and, and struggled with his relationship with God. He said, that's me. He said, I've, I've, I'm that guy. And he said, sometimes I'm not at church because I'm still f- feeling like maybe I'm frustrated with God a little bit about some things in my life. And, and he was just confessing. He was like, it was so good for me to hear that. He said, I called my mom immediately after church just to let her know, hey, it's okay to be frustrated at God sometime. I learned that today. And he's like, I just found out about this. And he's sharing all this with me. And I, I then told him, I said, you know what? Our Christian lives are like seasons, right? I said, I've had seasons in my Christian life where it's like springtime and there's flowers blooming and the, the, it's like the weather's awesome, except for this weekend. And it's like amazing and it's God is doing something. And there are other times in my spiritual walk where it's like wintertime and it's hard and it's challenging and it's difficult. And, um, you know, a year ago when we lost dad and, and kind of through that process and some things going on personally, you... You start to, you know, you know God loves the world, and you know people struggle, but when you are in the middle of the struggle, too, you you ask questions, not faith questions, not God, do you exist, just questions like, hey, I know you love the world, but, um, I, you know, I, I kind of want to be loved now, too, and yet you battle with that because you know God loves you, and, and you know really hardship is not a sign of God's lack of love, and you know all this stuff in your mind, and yet you still struggle because sometimes your faith goes through seasons, and so I was encouraging this guy because sometimes your faith goes through seasons, but it's oftentimes in the midst of the hardship that God does something in your life that you don't expect, and he leads you in some way, guides you in some way, loves you in some certain way, that suddenly you've reconnected with God in the middle of the hard time. So I would just say to you, those of you who are going through hard times, those of you who are going through the season of winter, hang on. Hang on, because God is doing something great in your life. And I know this, he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He will be. Here's another way he's faithful. God's faithful because he knows a positive impact you're going to make in your life. 
He just does. So some of you, you look around and go, I don't know what my life is all about. Listen, God has not given up on you. He who began a good work on you will be faithful to complete it. Those of you who are wondering, what is my purpose in life? God's going to help you find that purpose. He's going to help you locate that purpose so that you can grow into it, so that you can know, hey, I've got a good work that I need to be a part of in my life that I can be and make a difference, just like Paul did for Lydia and the Philippian jailer, and just like the Philippian jailer did for his family. What is it God is calling you to do? And one of the things we do as a church is we kind of come together to encourage each other with that because we want to encourage each other on life's purpose. Now, for just a second, let me just say that even though God has a work for you, that sometimes, and even though we've blown it, and even though we have had challenges, yes, God forgives, but there is also consequences for our, our behavior. And when, when we color outside the lines or we work outside the yard, yard markers or uh, we make decisions that we know are dishonoring to God, um, God uh, is, uh, cannot be mocked, the Bible says. That he forgives, but there's also consequences of that. And some of you today kind of have to realize that and realize, I do have to live through some of those consequences. The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. And, and he's going to remind you again and again, part of his good work in your life is to try to bring you back on course. So whether it be some habit that you have, whether it be some crossing the line ethically in your business or abusing your body in some way or using some substance you shouldn't be using or crossing a boundary relationally that you know would not honor God or living materialistically or neglecting the needs of people in need, whatever it is, God still works on you and you also need to realize that God wants the best for you and part of that is that there is discipline that happens that kind of helps to lead us back on the right path as well. So I just want to kind of close by reminding you what God is kind of calling all of you to. Paul said, he who began a good work in you, it's a good work. He's going to keep working on you until the day that that he completes it in you. He's going to cooperate with you to bring you to completion on these things. Those of you who are seekers, here's the message I want you to know. The God of the universe has shown up ready to work in your life. He's pursuing you even as you're seeking him. And I want to encourage you to know that God loves you. He wants to start transforming your character. He wants to work on your relationships and your behavior. And, 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 and ultimately, his goal is that you would receive the gospel message of Christ and that you would go to heaven and you'd be forgiven. So seekers, I would just encourage you today, man, you need to raise that white flag and just go, God, I surrender to you. God, I surrender. Some of you today may be ready to go, God, I want to surrender And like Lydia and the Philippian jailer, I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to be new. I want to be raised to new life. Some of you may be ready to do that today. If you're not ready today, don't wait too long. Call us. Let us know. Next Sunday, next Tuesday, whatever. Say, I want to be baptized into Christ. I want my family to be there. Or I just want to do it one-on-one. But I'm ready to come to that moment where I surrender to the Lordship of Christ in my life. Do what the Philippian jailer did and what Lydia did that day. Believe in him. Repent of your sin. Confess him as Lord and be baptized. Now, those of you who are already Christians, can I say this to you? Maybe today you can just pray, God, I've gone off course or outside of the yard markers. Or maybe if, if that is you, God, I want to repent and come back. 
Those of you who feel like, I just, God, I just want you to continue to work on me because I've hit sort of a, a soft spot in my spiritual life. I feel like I want it to grow again. Maybe just admit that to God today. Just be honest with Him about that. I don't want to dip down. I want to be reminded of what we're all about. And, uh, or maybe you feel like God's calling you to something great. Just remember, don't give up on that. God hasn't given up on you, so if He has a purpose for you, and He does, and you, you feel like, well, it's kind of a dead thing. I don't even know if it's going to work now. You just keep going. He's going to carry it on to completion in your life. He wants to use your life in a positive way. So whatever it is, spend some moments today in this quiet time here in just a minute to kind of recalibrate with the Lord. I mean, I, I love our church. And I love the fact that every week I feel like we come together every week to remind each other about what we're all about, right? I, I, one of the things I love to do is coach people. I get to coach people spiritually. I get to coach people physically. But I also love to coach, um, like when Jason's coming up or one of our girls are coming up playing basketball or, or baseball or whatever. But I love those, uh, those sort of halftime conversations, right? Hey, we're playing the game. We're doing pretty good, gang. But we need to make some mid-course correction here, okay? So we're going to do this. I'm going to draw this X, this O. I would think if we could do this a little bit better, if we could actually rebound the ball, um, you know, this kind of thing. If you would trip that guy, get him out of the game. He's, or he's tearing us apart, whatever. But So make these mid-course corrections right in the middle of the game. Then you come back together and you play the second half, and you go, wow, what happened? We made some adjustments. And one of the things I feel about Sunday mornings is it's a chance for us as a church, to kind of recalibrate. It's sort of a, a halftime moment for us to come together and huddle together and go, okay, how'd it go this week, guys? What did we learn? What did we see? How do we blow it? All right, I think we can make some mid-course corrections. And typically, it's not me doing that as a coach. It's the Holy Spirit through His Word speaking into your life, and you go, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. And God corrects you in some way so that now when you go out next week, you go out and live a different life. You make adjustments. And I think that's one of the reasons we come together for communion is because we get a chance to spend some moments before the Lord going, okay, God, I've got some things I've got to work on. We've got some things we've got to correct. He's going to remind you of things in the middle of that. Of course, ultimately, he's going to remind you what Christ did for you on the cross. So we're going to take some quiet moments for reflection today. Whatever decision you have to make, this is a good opportunity to recalibrate and to reconsider. And hey, listen, guys, we're going to be on this joy ride in Philippians for the next 14 weeks. Read the book. Read the letter. It's not that long. Start studying it. Start praying about what God has for you because we're going to see phrase after phrase after phrase. By the end of this journey, you're going to realize no matter what you're going through, you can still have joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us and thank you for the communion today that we uh, celebrate this moment where we uh, think about your death and your resurrection and we think about what you've called us to we think about the fact, God, that you haven't given up on us no matter what. And we think about the fact today that the cross was the ultimate way for us to know that you love us and that you care for us and you have a plan for our life. So, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.